0: So, this morning we're continuing and almost finished chapter 5 of 1 John. And so, as I said in a moment ago, I don't say this just to be saying it. I say it because I really mean it. It is a delight to see all of you. It's a delight to have this room filled the way it is. And I'm always looking forward to having it to be overflowing. Amen. Overflowing. So on that, in that context, please be ready and active in asking your friends in the church to be here. How many of you have friends in this church who are not in this classroom? How many of you have friends in this church who are not in this classroom? Don't all of you have friends in the church who are not in the classroom? Okay. That means each one of us ask people, would you come to the school of the word with me at 9 o'clock? Ask them. Encourage them. Threaten them. (laughs) Entice them with goodies or something. So, So glad to have you here this morning. We're now looking at verse 20, and and John is bringing the instruction of his letter to a conclusion, and this morning we'll read this last of three we knows in a row, verse 18, 19, and 20. We know, we know, we know. These are the facts that we know. These are the facts of the Christian faith we know, and then next week we'll look at the last verse of, Ch- of 1 John, where he gives us a warning of command. So he ends it in a way that we would not think typical. So let's read verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Now, do you have this verse written out in your notes Yes or no? Do you have the word true in bold letters? Okay. Underline the word true or circulate uh, circulate it. Circle it. We know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So all of a sudden, when we look at this verse, we see the word true stated what? Three different times in this one verse. So what does this tell us? John is emphasizing in conclusion of all the things that he's been saying about the Christian faith. He brings it down to this last statement. Does everybody know Shirley Wanderjum who's coming in? Hello, Shirley. Good to have you here. He, he brings it down to this one concluding statement. And he wraps everything up that he's been saying in this One statement. Here's what we know for a fact. First, we know that the Son of God, what, has come. Second, we know that he has given us what? Understanding. And why has he given us understanding? That we may know him who is true. And then he elaborates on that, that Jesus Christ and him who is true. Now, what does the word true mean here? The word true here means real, genuine. Now, why is he doing this at the end of this letter? You remember that what has precipitated this epistle is that these folks whom he knows, his children, members of his own congregation, have been bombarded by false lies, false doctrine that has been presenting Jesus in a way that he is not the true Jesus, has been speaking about God in a way that he is not the true or real God. They're talking about another God, if you would, with a small g. And as we look at this this morning, I want to alert us to something that I think most of us already know. But if we don't, we need to. Please keep this in mind. Please do this. When the world, I'm not speaking about the church, Stephen. When the world, I'm talking about those who are not members of the church. Did you get the difference? When the world speaks about God... When it references the word God, even Jesus, but especially the word God. Pharaoh, the world is not talking about the real God. Do you get that? When someone says, I believe in God, Beth, I believe them. But the God that they believe in is the God of this world the evil one. They don't understand that. They would not think that they think you're crazy, Chrissy. I mean, you're nuts. But if the Bible is true and we know it is, when others reference God, they are not talking about any god. They are talking about one specific god who has disguised himself in a multiplicity of other gods or other ways or other philosophies or other thoughts or other religions or other whatevers. And he's called the God of this world. Remember in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4, the God of this world. John calls him the evil one. His name is Satan. He's the accuser of the brethren. He is the one who rebelled and rejected the presence of God. Remember that. So I want to make sure as we move along that we are getting an understanding here that when we're talking to folks out there about God or if they bring it up, I'm trying not to raise my voice. Do not assume they're talking about the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Assume that they are not is the better way, Paul. And if you're wrong, good. But if you're right, if they are talking about a different God and you're cooperating with them, you're doing more damage. So, Linda, if they talk about God and they start chit-chatting, what should you do? Ask them, what God? What God, Donnie? Are you with me? What God, Rosa? Angel, what God? What are you talking about? Help me to understand the God, you know. Well, I'm just talking about, you know, the, the if they say, I'm talking about, or couched in terms that would say this, I'm talking about the God who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, then, Eddie, you know what? They're talking about God, the real God. So can we get this into our thoughts, into our minds, and into our souls? There is only one real God. God who is truly God. Amen. There is only one. There's only one Joe. I mean how can you have three or four gods running around. So John is ending this way. Hammering home. This issue. To his church. And to all believers. What you are being taught. By others. Other than faithful Men and women of the faith. These, Lord, are not real. These are not the real God. Is that okay? Can you grab this this morning? Now, is this narrow-minded? Amen or not? Are we being narrow-minded? Am I narrow-minded? I'm just telling you what the Bible says. God is the most narrow-minded being in all the world. He excludes anything and everything that is not of himself. That's narrow, isn't it? So who said narrow is the way? Who said that, Mary? Jesus said it's narrow. Thank God he has made us narrow-minded people so our minds can be freed to embrace this God. Amen. So let's talk about this verse. First of all, we know that the Son of God has come. You notice this. And please, let's make sure that when we see certain terms and certain titles in the Bible, we think about them not just, oh yeah, well, you know, the Son of God. Okay. So John says this. In verse 20, we know what, that what, the Son of God has come. What is John emphasizing as the primary beginning, you know, the the foundation of our faith? When he says the Son of God has come, he's talking about the incarnation. Does that come into your mind when you read this? It should immediately come into your mind. He's talking about the incarnation. So what does John 1, 14 say? Remember, beginning, in the beginning, John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Then we move down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. That glory as of the only. What? Only what? I can't hear you. That glory as of the only. Son of God full of what? Grace and truth. So when John starts. The son of God has come. He immediately is telling us. That the very foundation and meaning and fabric of our faith rests upon this one truth. As I have here in your notes, I think, 2 Corinthians 5, 19. This is another statement of the incarnation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. Correct? And not imputing or counting their trespasses against God us. Why? Because Jesus took all of our trespasses to the cross. Now, we read that the Son of God has come. Okay, fine. And we're ready to get to the next part of it. But let's stop for a moment. And let's not be too in a hurry. Think about it. Think about it. The Son of God has come. The Son of God has taken to Himself a human body and soul in order to take our sin. to the cross so that we could have eternal life don't pass these words too quickly stop for a moment this is a major statement in this statement is encapsulated Genesis 1 1 the whole purpose of Barashit Barah Elohim, for God in the beginning, God created. The whole purpose of those three Hebrew words is specified in this part of the verse. Do we see that? Let's stop for a moment. Calm down and think and savor and contemplate, we are here today because of that verse. We are saved because of that verse. We have security forever because of that verse. We are forgiven because of that verse, etc., 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 for all eternity. Amen? Amen. So let's not go over these verses too quickly. Slow down. Think about them. Let them marinate. Is that how you say that word? Like a good, uh, my aunt used to put um, uh, chuck roast in a what do you call it, pressure cooker, and let me tell you, when it was finished, this thing was worth eating. So let this let this verse become a good. Chuck roast for you that's well prepared. Now, why has the Son of God come? He's come to give us understanding. To give us understanding. Uh, the ability to comprehend or apprehend that which is real or genuine. Have you ever seen anything and thought anything or whatever? And then all of a sudden one day, oh, that's, oh, that's what that is. Anybody ever had that kind of a thought? Oh, I see. That makes sense to me now. Understanding there's, it is the illumination of our minds, of our thoughts, of our apprehensions. That Jesus has come to give us. Why did it have to be given? Why do we need to be given understanding? What does Romans 3.11 say? No one understands. Why? Because you see our minds are darkened because of the fall. Because of Ephesians 2.1, what? We were what? Dead in our hearts trespasses and sin we had absolutely no ability in ourselves according to our natural understanding to apprehend anything about God except one thing what was the only thing and what is the only thing that all humanity is given to see very limitedly but to see not to understand in a salvific salvation way but to see in an existent way what is it come on romans 119 and 20 what for god has made himself obvious to all through the creation there's no such thing as an atheist God has planted into the hearts and minds and fabric of our being as human beings that there is a God who rules and reigns. So when they tell you I'm an atheist, I've said this many times, what? Don't ever say so-and-so's an atheist. Don't Don't you lie about God, Debbie. That's lying about God, girl. You see, oh, it does matter how you say it, doesn't it? Do you see that? Mike, it matters. Well, he said it. I don't give a hoo what he said. What God said is what's going on. So when they say you're an atheist, what do you should say to them? No, you're not. Challenge them. You want to be a witness? You don't have to carry around a big Bible. Just start asking the pointed questions. Stephen, don't go with it at school when you're being taught or hear these things in students. You're not. And insist on it until they ask you, well, why do you think I'm not? Now you have a platform. They have asked you in. They have asked you to come on in and explain the thing to me. So we had no understanding of God. We had to be given it. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Do you see that in your notes? What? The natural man, the natural man, the natural man are those people who are born outside of Christ. All born, all of us born outside of Christ, but who remain outside of Christ, who are unsaved. Natural man does not accept the things that are the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. What? He cannot understand them. So, as a result, we must be given spiritual apprehension. So when does that happen? When are we given spiritual apprehension? This is a review today. We've studied this. When are we given spiritual apprehension? Do you know what I mean? When are we given understanding? back? you see, when does the Son of God give us? So by the way, did you see the word give or did I skip over it too quickly? The word give. Notice the difference. The apostle doesn't say I must ask for understanding. I must ask. He says you must be given understanding in order to receive it. Are you with me today? Do you hear Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 in there? For by grace you have been saved through faith. You got to be given it. So when were we given understanding? The son of God came. He went to the cross. He died. For the payment of our sin. He was buried. And on that third day God roared from heaven. I accept the sacrifice of my son. On behalf of my people. So that I now can Righteously and justly forgive their sin since the penalty of their sin has been fully, finally, and forever paid for in the body of this, my incarnate son. Do you follow me this morning on this? Therefore, he raised Jesus from the dead. There was no reason to raise Jesus from the dead other than for our justification. I'm talking about Romans 4.25. You might have remembered that verse. So now in the resurrection of Jesus, God declares all his people what? Forgiven. Forgiven. Justified. For how long? Forever. But that forgiveness must be imparted to us. I bought you a present, Carolyn. But unless I impart it to you, it simply doesn't do you the good that for which I have bought it. So you buy presents for your grandchildren, don't give them to them. Don't, don't give it to them. <laughs> so I must move along. So So do you understand the necessity of the resurrection? The man Jesus had to die for the forgiveness of our sin, having paid the full price on Calvary, John 1930. it is finished. This is a review. I'm not saying anything today that we haven't said a hundred times. But when this man died on our behalf and for us, instead of us and for us, God accepted the sacrificial death of his son as to his humanity. Remember, the humanity died. The human Jesus died, not the son of God. The Son of God was in Christ when the Lord Jesus was in the, at the cross. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Remember, I just quoted that. Why? Just leave it at the resurrection. Because you see, the necessity is that we be given understanding to receive this. Are you with me? We be given understanding What? Mama, what? To receive it. We've been given understanding so that what Jesus has done is received by me as mine. You see that, Cliff? He's given and I must receive it. Both parts are significant and important and necessary. So God raises his son and then he does what? he ascends into the heavens he is exalted to the right hand of god the father having been given all authority in heaven and earth remember matthew somebody read what's that verse matthew what 2830 got it i'm sorry 2820 is that it all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me when he has that authority what is he going to do He's already told him in John 14, when I go away, I'm going to pray the Father that he'll send you what? Another comforter. Another comforter like myself. And he will bring you into all truth. He will speak the truth, the reality. He'll give you understanding. So Jesus prays, sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit impacts the world on the day of Pentecost and continues to do so. And the description of his spiritual Activity. The description of this understanding that is given to us is explained in Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. This is a rehearsal today. All I'm doing is going over ground that we've said many times. This is a repetition. I ain't saying nothing new. When did I personally receive understanding? Oh, do I remember. The whole thing is true. Oh, my word. How many of you remember when you were impacted by the Spirit of God and everything changed as to your outlook and understanding and whatever? How many of you remember that? Oh. Where did you get that? Did you get it because you asked for it, or did you get it because it was given to you? And when I received understanding, I said, ah, oh, and I said, yes, I received Jesus, John one twelve, to as many of those who, what, who received them, him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God, even to those who believe, faith, receive, accept, say yes to, even those who believe on his name. You remember that verse? John 1, 12. You see, Jan, that's when you and I and the rest of us in here who are saved will give an understanding, and that's why we have understanding today. What is this understanding about? The understanding is about God's eternal purpose for us, the understanding is to illumine our minds and our hearts and our souls about God and about us. When I received understanding, I all of a sudden began to understand and see something about God I'd never seen before. Right, Patrick? And that's a growing understanding, hopefully, for all of us. But I also came to understand something about myself, which was not pretty. I have sinned. And I deserve to be condemned forever. All of a sudden. I remember in Mandeville. When the television was on and Billy Graham was preaching. And it came over me like a tidal wave, this sense of guilt and of understanding, Peter, I'm in deep trouble. With God, it hit me. I didn't learn that from some book, although it's in the book And it's dead to us until the Holy Spirit enlightens it. I'm in trouble. Not just because I've done a few bad things. Because that's not true. I didn't do a few bad things. I did a whole lot of bad things. Understanding that this God before whom we all have to do. Is going to punish me forever. And all of a sudden. Oh God. Have mercy. See that's my receiving. And responding to his convicting power. Having opened my heart. To an understanding of himself. And of me. I didn't ask. Or do anything in order for God. To open my heart to the understanding. He gave it to me. That's the reason I responded. Do you see it? The issue is you don't get saved because you have to ask Jesus to save you. You get saved because of the blood of Jesus at the cross cleanses you from all sin, which God applies to you and gives to you the reality through the understanding revelation of the Holy Spirit, to which you say yes to Jesus. Correct? That's what receive means. And what did he give us understanding of? Somebody read the next part of that sentence. He came to give us understanding what? So that what? We what? We what? We might what? We might know him who is really God. We might know him. Well, again, let's take a moment. What does know him mean? Remember, the word know is that word epinosis. Or some people say epigenosis, whatever. It's the knowing the knowledge that comes from and is the result of and the activity of our fellowship, our communion with God. You see. Jean knows me better today than she did over 54 years ago when we were married. Now, she knew me then. I mean, I think we've known one another since we were like 12 years old. That's when you should have left town, you see. <laughs> we've known one another, Carrie, for, I mean, we're 72, I'm 79 now. How many years is 12 minus 7? Tw- How many years have we known one another? 79 minus 12, what is that? 68, 67 years. We've known one another 67 years. What do you mean, she? Did you see her? Look, She joined it. Oh, my heaven. <laughs> That's Lauren back there. She knew me. But you see... Clara, she didn't know me. Tara, how long have you been married to that? 25 years, that roof man. When you Before you got married, you knew him. But did you really know him? Now, had you known him, that, well, well, that was going on the way. Had I known him, then, you know, I would never have done. Well, I, whew, my hands are warm. Freezing, huh? Do you see the difference? This knowing that John is talking about is more than just a fact. It's more than just a fact. A fact is a fact and that's it. This knowing is that fact becomes an interrelated experience. The fact becomes an interrelated communing, fellowshipping experience. So we are knowing one another by living together, by being together, by communing, by conversations, etc., etc., etc. So John says, the Son of God has appeared to give us understanding. What? So that we may what? Come to know this God personally. So that echoes what verse? John 17, 3. Remember that? Jesus' prayer. He gives you a definition. He's talking to God, but he knows the men are listening to him. So for this is eternal life. That they may, epinosis, that they may know you in fellowship, in communion. That your life, Father, and their life may be intertwined relationally forever. May become one relationally forever. That's what eternal life is, that they may know you who alone are truly God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So knowing the Father is knowing the Son. Knowing the Son is knowing the Father. I've already skipped to the rest of the verse. Knowing both, one is to know both. Not knowing one is to not know either. The necessity of the incarnation to bring us into a fellowshipping union with God. Him who was true, the real God. What word do I hear echoed in the real God, the one and only God? Shema Israel, Elohano Yahweh, Elohano Echad, Hero Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one or he's the one and only God. Deuteronomy 6.4. Remember that verse? You see, nothing new in the New Testament. It's all the old in shadow form being brought to reality and manifestation in fullness. Let me move along. And next thing, we know what? That we're in him who is true and we're in his son. And then let me go down to the last verse. We know that the father, he is the true or real God in eternal life. So what do we know here? How have we come to know this God? Look, this is a review of our faith. God has given us in His Son, on the basis of the atoning death, resurrection, exaltation of the Son of God, He has given us the right and the ability to understand who this God is, His purpose for our lives. And how that purpose is accomplished in his incarnate son who is ruling and reigning and returning. This is what God has done. And the essence of all of this is in these two little words, but these words fill eternity in him. Now, I didn't have this in your notes, you may put it down. The word, Greek word is E-N, N, en it has two meanings. It has what we call locative in the location of, and instrumental by the instrumentality of. We are in Him. We are in relational unity with. The Father by the Son through the Holy Spirit. Correct? And we're also in him through the instrumentality of the incarnate Son given to us by the Holy Spirit. Do you see both? Both. We're in him In location, if you would, relationally one with him. You notice I said relationally one. We're not what we call ontologically. We don't become God. Some people teach we become God, And we're in him because of the instrumentality of the incarnation. Applied by the Holy Spirit beginning on the day of Pentecost. That's the essence of our faith. You see, that's why once God seals you by the Holy Spirit, where, where is that? Where, is, where are we sealed by the Holy Spirit? Who said that? Where's that verse? Ephesians 1, 1 13 and 14. We are sealed. What does it mean? God has irrevocably and eternally put his stamp of approval upon us as his children. We are in Christ. And in Christ, therefore, we are all together equally his children. Amen. This is an astounding verse. It so summarizes our faith. So next week, we'll talk about the last verse where he says, my darling ones, my children. It means darling ones. What? Guard. Keep yourselves from what? Idolatry. Watch out. Because everything about that world and everything that the devil wants to do within the context of this system is to undo what you believe in this verse. Do you believe it? You better believe it. We'll see you next week.